Chapter Eight of the Friendship of Anne, a story by Ellen Douglas Deland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Naturally enough, after this, the social relations of most of the girls at the Wickersham School became very much strained. There were few who did not turn away altogether from Sydney although the trouble was not immediately understood. Something was wrong, and it is so easy to take the worst view of a situation rather than the better. The few who remained friendly towards her were Ruth Carter, Dolly Fearing, and a girl named Elsie Brent. Ruth was one who required absolute proof of whatever she was to believe until she knew it to be a fact that sydney had written the letters she could not treat her as though she had done so dolly loved peace to be in a state of hostility with another was to her positive torture you could see this in her face and in her eyes even if sydney had done greater wrong than writing two anonymous letters about a schoolmate it is doubtful if she would have turned against her entirely elsie brent remained faithful because she loved sydney she was of the same age but was in the class below anne and dolly and sydney but sydney being backward in mathematics was with her in arithmetic Elsie was not clever at her lessons, and they had become very friendly over the miseries of a study which both disliked, and Sydney had done one or two little kindnesses for Elsie which won her heart. Elsie was an unusual girl. She was fifteen and was very tall for her age, with heavy dark hair and a face that would have been plain had it not been for her wonderful eyes they were large and dark and honest she was not shy but she was of a reticent nature that made her slow in gaining friends she did not mind this she preferred to read very often rather than join in the games or the conversation it was no hardship for her to walk alone she was perfectly indifferent to the fascination of Anne Talbot or any one else whom the other girls raved about, but she had given her allegiance to Sidney Stewart, and with the strength of her nature she remained faithful. Sidney was quite unconscious of the depth and quality of her affection and it is doubtful if she ever would have known it if vents had not taken place to call it forth sydney felt very much alone during the first few days after the meeting of the k q c described in the last chapter she was so sure that anne was alienated because of the trouble in her own family that she made no effort at reconciliation she could not explain this trouble and she was too proud to beg anne to overlook it without explanation anne on the contrary 
really liked Sydney, but believing that she had written the letters, became more and more indignant with her because she did not come forward and apologize for having done so and try to straighten the matter out. Ruth and Dolly could not succeed in modifying her views. Anne was a very determined young person, and it was difficult to convince her that she was ever in the wrong, and matters were in this state when something else happened, and as is very often the case, the weather played an important part in bringing it about. Indian summer was quickly over, and immediately afterwards winter set in. The days were short now and dreary. Clouds gathered or rain fell nearly every day, and at last one morning, it was the day before Thanksgiving, the inhabitants of Kingsbridge awoke to find it snowing. This first flurry did not last long, however, and by noon the sun was shining fitfully, although a bank of clouds in the west suggested that more snow might be coming soon. The pupils did not go home to pass Thanksgiving. The holidays at that time were not long enough to make it worthwhile. There was no school that day or Friday, however, and it was a season of leisure and fun. Those of the girls who were so fortunate as to know some of the residents of Knightsbridge were invited to their homes, and some had been asked to bring friends with them. Aunt Talbot had been long engaged to go to a supper party on Thanksgiving night, to be given by a Mrs. Tracy, who was her mother's cousin and who lived in a large house at some distance from the Wickersham School. Mrs. Tracy had also invited three of Anne's friends, and Anne had selected Dolly Fearing, Ruth Carter, and Sidney Stewart. It was considered the proper thing to do to ask one of the new girls of the year and Anne had chosen Sydney. This, of course, was before the trouble. Sydney now felt very uncomfortable about it, but hesitated to give it up. She did not know what she ought to do. Of course, Anne said nothing. She could not request Sydney to stay at home, though there was no doubt that she would be relieved if Sydney would herself suggest it. The afternoon before Thanksgiving Day, Sydney, having gained permission to take a walk, started out alone from the gates of the Wickersham School, and turning away from the town and towards the open country, she walked rapidly along the road. She had not gone far when she heard quick footsteps behind her, while her name was called in a rather breathless voice. She looked back and saw Elsie Brent running fast in her efforts to overtake her. Sydney felt a moment's regret. She would much rather walk alone this afternoon. She told herself she wanted to be alone and think things over. Of course, it would have been the very worst occupation possible, but she did not realize this. Thinking things over in solitude very often makes one take an unfortunate view of them. 
there was nothing to do but to wait for Elsie, who soon caught up to her. I saw you going off, and I thought I would come with you, said Elsie. I had asked Miss Wickersham if I could go to walk, and I was going alone, but I would a great deal rather come with you, if you don't mind. This was a great compliment on Elsie's part, had Sydney but known it. It was not often that she ran after another girl in order to walk with her. Oh, all right, said Sydney, not very cordially. You don't want me, do you? said Elsie, in her blunt fashion. She was a girl of a few words, but they were usually very much to the point. But I am coming all the same. I want to tell you something, and this seems a good chance to do it. Which way are you going? I was going up the lane that leads off from this road and over the hill into those woods that are beyond. I love woods in winter, but I would just as leave go any other way if you would rather. No, I like that, and it will give us a good chance to talk, for you don't meet the other girls up there much. They all love going to town and buying candy. I don't mind the candy, but I hate the shops. Have some. She had thrust her hand into her ulster pocket and brought out a paper bag containing some of the famous Tinkerham caramels that were so deservedly popular year after year with the girls at the Wickersham School. Sydney accepted the proffered dainties, and being a perfectly normal girl, was rather glad after all that Elsie had joined her. One must be very eccentric and morbid not to be mollified by a gift of caramels when one is a schoolgirl and apparently deserted by one's other friends. I saw you sneaking off, continued Elsie, and I knew you'd end by crying if you were off by yourself. You're having a horrid time, and I just wanted to tell you. Here utterance was stopped for a moment by her inability to manage the caramel. You needn't tell me anything, interposed Sydney hastily. If people want to drop me, they can. I don't care. Oh, yes, you do cried Elsie, now able to speak fluently once more. You care very much. Anyone would care. I don't know what all the trouble is about, but I do know that I don't give up my friends for any trifle. You were good to me that day I got stuck in my arithmetic and explained things better than any teacher. I've never forgotten it, and I like you. You say you don't know what the trouble is. No, and what is more, I don't care. If a person is once my friend, they're always my friend. It is very nice of you to say that, Elsie, but perhaps if you knew what the trouble really was, you would feel different. Perhaps even you wouldn't overlook what it is. Oh, pshaw! exclaimed Elsie. 
I have an idea about it, and I don't mind in the least. There's a lot of talk, and I don't know how much is true and how much isn't. After all, what does it matter if you did write the letters? It wasn't such a crime. Letters? repeated Sydney, somewhat mystified. I don't know what you mean. Well, I'm sure I don't either. Don't let's talk about it. I only want you to understand that I am your friend whatever happens. You can just depend upon that. To Elsie's great surprise and possibly a little to her dismay, for she was very undemonstrative, Sydney stopped in the lane and putting her arms around her friend's neck began to cry. There, I knew you were intending to cry, but I thought I could head it off, said Elsie. Instead of that, I seem to have brought it on. I can't help it, murmured Sydney. I just, just can't help it. I've been feeling so badly, and now uh, to find that you, you... Oh, come now, exclaimed Elsie, but very kindly. Just hush up, Sid. What did you take me for anyway? You must have thought I was a pretty sort of girl to turn against a friend the minute she got into any scrape. Why, that's the time to stand by them. I don't know what Aunt Talbot is thinking of. I didn't suppose she was any kind of girl to give you up as soon as trouble comes. She has good reason for it said sydney hastily very likely i should feel the same way if i were in her place it isn't that i have done anything myself but some people mind things that that have happened in other people's families i don't know what under the sun you're talking about said elsie her honest face looking very much puzzled. But as I said, you needn't try to explain to me if you don't want to. Of course, if it is going to relieve your mind to talk things over, you can do it. But as far as I am concerned, it doesn't make a bit of difference. I haven't heard what anyone supposes it to be except some stuff about letters, and I am sure I don't care whether you wrote them or not, as far as my feelings for you go, though I would rather my friends didn't do anything underhand. That is the second time you have said something about letters, said Sydney. I wish you would tell me what letters you mean. Well, I won't. I don't really know. You know the girls don't care for me very much. I don't care for many of them. And I have only heard a lot of buzzing and haven't asked a question. I may have gotten it all wrong. Don't let's talk about it, Sid. Well, we won't. But there is something I should l like to ask your advice about. Ever so long ago, Anne asked me to go with her to mrs tracy's she is some relation of hers you know 
and Anne is going there to a Thanksgiving party and was told she could bring some friends, and she asked me. Mrs. Tracy wrote me a very nice note, inviting me, and I accepted. Now I don't know what to do about it. Of course I know Anne doesn't want me to go. It makes me feel dreadfully to go where I know I am not wanted, but I don't know how to explain to Mrs. Tracy that I can't come. What shall I do? It did indeed seem a very difficult proposition, and Elsie, having had very little experience of the world, was uncertain as to the proper course to be pursued. But though she had no experience, she did possess a fair amount of common sense. She thought the matter over a few minutes. Do the Miss Wickershams know anything about all this? She asked presently. They know. They know about our troubles, said Sydney hesitantly. I don't know whether they know about all this fuss. I shouldn't wonder if they did. They usually know everything. Why don't you talk it over with Miss Jeanie? She could advise you. Oh, I couldn't exclaimed Sydney. I just couldn't. And besides, Margaret advised me not to talk about it with anyone. Margaret? Your sister, you mean? Yes. Well, I suppose she knows best. But wasn't that before any of this fuss? Yes, before I left home. Perhaps she wouldn't say the same thing now. If she knew all about everything now, Perhaps she would advise you to talk to Miss Jeanie. No, I don't think she would. Well, of course you know what she would say better than I do. But I don't see how I can go to that party with Anne, continued Sydney. Ruth and Dolly are the others who are going, and they haven't been disagreeable to me, but they have been a little cool, and Anne... Oh, Anne has been like an icicle, and oh, Elsie, I do care for her so much. That is the worst of it. I am so fond of her still, even though that is the worst of it. I am so fond of her still, even though she is so queer and has turned against me so. Elsie was silent. Her loyal heart suffered. She could not help feeling a pang of jealousy. She knew Sid carried a great deal more for Anne than she did for her even now, and she did so long to be first with her. But she struggled against the feeling which she knew to be an unworthy one, and presently she was able to speak in her usual voice. I suppose it is hard for you, she said, Yes, it is very hard when you care so much for a person not to have them believe in you and stick to you. Can nothing be done to bring back her to liking me? asked Sydney. What would you do? Again Elsie was silent. Then she said, I think I should keep right on caring for her and trust 
to its getting straight again some day. If I could, I would go to her and say, See here, something's wrong, and I want to explain it if I can. I can't do that, interposed Sydney. I simply can't tell her the family trouble. Very well, then. The only thing you can do is to wait. But about going tomorrow night, I am sure I don't know how to advise you. But the matter was destined to be settled for Sydney without the advice of anyone. All the time they had been talking, the girls had pursued their way steadily up the lane and through the woods. They had paid no heed to time or weather, and had not noticed that the bank of clouds which had darkened the western horizon had been moving steadily forward until now the sky was completely overcast. In the woods they did not think about the sky, nor feel the wind, and therefore when they came out into the open they were surprised to find that it was snowing and that it was rapidly growing colder. They were rather glad than otherwise to see the snow, for it gave promise of coasting, and the hills about Knightbridge were fine for that sport. They continued on their way and soon were talking about other matters than the one which had so absorbed them. I think there is a shortcut across the field that leads to a road, said De Sydney, a sort of a back road that takes you over the woods back of the school. We might go home that way. All right, assented Elsie, if you are sure it does. It looks as if we are going to have a regular storm, and we better get back by the shortest way. This is ever so much shorter. I am quite sure it is, and I know just how to get there. I came up here one day a few weeks ago, just after school began. Ruth Carter was with me, and she showed it to me. We climb the wall here and go right across to that opposite corner. They climbed the low stone wall and set out across the field. But it is one thing to find one's way on a clear bright day, when one can see a long distance and, and note familiar landmarks, such as the position of certain hills or the spires of the town, or the course of the river which could be seen from here, and quite another matter to lay one's course, as they say at sea, when a blinding snow squall is raging and all those landmarks are blotted out of sight. For the snow was falling now with all the vigor of a winter storm. The wind had risen and was blowing it into swirling eddies, sending it against their faces and into their eyes. It was a great fun at first, and the girls laughed and bent their heads to meet its fury, hurrying across the field, stumbling into holes and over stones. For it was a New England pasture, and therefore rough and rocky. On they went for what seemed a very long time. 
This must be a very big pasture, said Elsie at last. Shouldn't you think we would soon get across it? It seems to take ever so much longer than it did the other time, replied Sydney. But I suppose this cold wind makes it seem so. We'll get to the other side soon, I am sure. But it was half an hour before they reached the stone wall which surrounded the pasture. Unable to see where they were going, they had been walking round and round, almost in a circle. At last they came to a wall. Here we are, cried Sydney joyfully, and here is the road. I knew we should find it if we only kept straight on. Now we turn to the right, and very soon we get to those other woods, and then it is all as easy as possible. But they had reached a wall which was on quite an opposite side of the pasture to what she imagined. There was a road there which had the appearance of the one she was looking for, and without a moment's doubt she turned to the right and struck out as she supposed for Wickersham School. But instead of this, they were every moment leaving it behind them and going farther and farther away. The storm showed no sign of abating and in fact was getting worse. The snow already lay thick on the ground and the wind grew stronger and colder. It was the beginning of a snowstorm that proved to be a memorable one which, although it came in November, caused great damage and loss of life all over the country. And these two girls were quite lost, hurrying as best as they could into the open country and the heart of the storm. End of chapter 8 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.